0: Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's evening news. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 800 wsb talk And we've got Beto O'Rourke running for president, coming as a surprise to no one. But before we get there, a bipartisan majority... Uh, just rejected the president's emergency declaration. Now, this doesn't mean that the emergency declaration is tossed. What it means is that the president has to veto this resolution in order to sustain his emergency. And he's already tweeted out veto, one-word tweet. This may be the first time he's ever tweeted one word. But uh, 11 Republicans... Voted with the Democrats for this resolution is some surprises in who did and did not vote. Uh, So who voted with the Democrats uh, saying that this was not a an emergency? Uh, Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, Roy Blunt of Missouri, Susan Collins of Maine, Mike Lee in Utah, Jerry Moran of Kansas, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Rand Paul of Kentucky, Rob Portman of Ohio, Mitt Romney of Utah, Marco Rubio of Florida and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania Roger Wicker of Mississippi, none of them, it should be noted, none of them up for re-election in 2020. And that leads actually to a couple of surprises. One, interestingly enough, Ted Cruz actually waited to look at the majority, waited until the end before he cast his vote. A lot of people laughing at him over that. Surprisingly, Marco Rubio voted uh, to end the emergency declaration. Ben Sass guardian of the Constitution as he is, did not. And a lot of people taking that as a signal from Ben Sass that he is running for re-election in 2020, trying to minimize a challenge in a primary. He released a statement uh, in his statement. He said, we have an obvious crisis at the border. Everyone who takes an honest look at the spiking drug and human trafficking numbers knows this, and the president has a legal path to a rapid response to the National Emergencies Act of 1976. I think the law is overly broad, and I want to fix it, but at present, Nancy Pelosi doesn't. So I am therefore voting against her politically motivated resolution. As a constitutional conservative, I believe the National Emergency Act currently on the book should be narrowed considerably. That's why I'm an original sponsor of Senator Lee's legislation, and it is why I have repeatedly gone to the White House to seek support for NEA reform. I urge the majority and minority to assist in moving this legislation through, but otherwise she's voting for the resolution. Um so there you have it with Ben Sass. Now, what will the effect have? Well, this will go now once it's embossed by the House and the Senate. It will go to the White House. The president will veto it. Because the legislation originated in the House of Representatives, it will go back to the House of Representatives where there are not enough votes to override a presidential veto. So the emergency declaration will continue. Lawsuits will follow. Many of the lawsuits uh, were considered not ripe until such time as this issue was dealt with in the Senate. Um Tom Cotton pushing out the Democrats, say, declaring an emergency, a national emergency is lawless. But for an act to be lawless, one actually has to act outside the law. On the contrary, the president is using clear statutory authority delegated to him by Congress. So there's your breakdown. Now, before we move on, and we'll come back to this, I'll take your calls on this as well. 404-872-0750, wsb talk But we need to focus just a few minutes on Beto O'Rourke. Now, we need to review the last six months. Beto O'Rourke ran against Ted Cruz. He was a media darling. In fact, I think it can be argued that Beto O'Rourke running against Ted Cruz in Texas overshadowed Andrew Gillum in Florida and Stacey Abrams in Georgia enough that he deprived them of funds they could have used to win in close races. But he was the media darling. He was he was the, the pretty white boy who ran. The media loved him because he drops the F-bomb and, and gets on a skateboard. Well, let's review Beto O'Rourke's record of statements over the last six months. Um, do you foresee yourself one day running
3: for the president of the United States? Thank you for being here. Thanks for the question. Um, Dana, since this is the the last segment, asked me to be brief, and so I will. uh, The answer is no um but um but i appreciate it my, my wife was the only one to clap uh, during that um our our, our children are, are 11. um they're they're 10 and they're seven years old um we we've we've told them we're going to take these almost two years out of our life to run this race and then we're, we're we're devoted and committed to being a family again so that's what we're focused on but thank you for asking the question it's super um that i'm not looking at 2020 and, and in fact i'm, I'm completely Ruling that out, um, not going to do that. Uh, no matter what, win or lose, you're not going to run in 2020. Win or lose, I, I'm, not, I'm not running in, in 2020. Um, I, I got to tell you, it, it's, it, it's incredibly flattering that anyone would ask me the question or that, that that's even um, up for discussion. But, but since people have asked, the answer is no. Can you say definitively that no matter what happens tomorrow, you will not be a candidate for president in 2020? I will not be a candidate for president in 2020. Thanks. That's, I think, as definitive as those sentences get.
1: Is that a definitive no?
3: It's a, it's a definitive no. Like, never? I mean, uh, I, I, so uh, l- l- let me put it this way. Um, I, I promise to you, and most importantly to the people of Texas, that I'll serve every single day of a six-year term in the United States Senate, and I won't leave this state to go run for president.
1: And if you don't win?
3: If, if I don't win, we're back in El Paso
0: yep and this is him on 60 minutes people speculate that you and senator cruz may face each other again not in a senate rematch but running for a higher office what are your thoughts on on running for president
3: i don't want to do it i will not do it Uh, amy and i are raising an 11 year old a 10 year old and a seven year old and we spent the better part of the last two years um, not with each other missing birthdays and anniversaries and time together and Um, we, we, um, our our family could
0: not survive more of his family could not survive another campaign. (laughs) Apparently after hanging out for six months with his kids, he's like, oh yeah, I'm totally running for president.
3: Amy and I are happy to share with you that I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. This is a defining moment of truth for this country and for every single one of us.
0: (laughs) So no, 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 I'm not running. It's absolutely definitive. I'm not running. You know, There's a thing you learn when you get into this business, whether you get into show business, you get into politics. Uh, A lot of people are your friends, but they're really acquaintances. I mean, I I know people, I interact with people on this program, listeners of this program, and, and I think we have friendly relationships. Some I consider friends. Many are just acquaintances. But I know you you run into politics, you run into people who interact with you, you decide that at some level you're a friend, and one day you realize, no, actually we're just acquaintances. And I suspect that Beto O'Rourke is going to realize that very soon, that he really actually is just acquainted with all of these people who were perfectly happy for him to run around saying that uh, they support him, they want him, they love him, uh, they want to have his baby, as long as he's running against Ted Cruz. But now suddenly, they're thinking, wait a second. Privileged white guy married to a billionaire's daughter, and he wants to do what? Can a, can a privileged white guy, and I do mean privileged here, Beto O'Rourke used his father to get out of a DUI situation. Um, it, he he was in a punk rock band. He, he got to live a life of luxury, very much like the kids whose parents bribed their way into college. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is, is of that to some degree. I'm not saying his parents bribed him into college, but, I mean, his his parents pampered him. They pulled strings for him. He, he, now he's married to a billionaire's daughter. And the Democrats are so in on social justice warrior nonsense, they're going to tear him apart. Um, in fact, it's already beginning. This is CNN commentary on Beto O'Rourke. CNN.
1: Mm -hmm. through a very crowded field in the primary. Let's bring back in Jess McIntosh, uh, obviously democratic strategist, a CNN political contributor, and director of communications outreach for the Hillary Clinton campaign. Here's what a lot struck me, Jess, but here's one thing. I didn't hear direct answers. um, When the first question was about what would you do with my kid whose prescription costs $444 a month even after Insurance, I didn't hear, well, here's how I deal with the big pharma companies, or here's what I do on allowing you know, the government, Medicare, to negotiate with them. I actually didn't hear an answer on UBI, on universal basic income. What that is, is that means that regardless of income or, or, or your you know, resources or your employment status, that every American would get a certain sum of money to get by each year. I didn't hear direct answers. Is that gonna matter to voters?
2: He, he did a lot of answering what he called the spirit of the question, which uh, I, I think you, you can do on your first day. I think it's entirely fair to outline principles and, and to talk about values on, on day one, but uh, Iowa voters don't actually appreciate if they ask a specific question right. and you instead answer the spirit of it for yeah. very long.
0: The spirit of it. And here's Kirsten Powers also on CNN.
4: Can I just say one thing though? Uh, about what's bothering me about this isn't so much about what he's doing; it's what the the media is doing. So the fact that he gets this Vanity Fair cover, and I and I feel like you know he is getting kind of this special treatment that's not proportionate to what he's done. He he's had a big accomplishment, but so did Stacey Abrams. Um, You know, and as as Mm -hmm. you know, was just pointed out, there are a lot of other candidates who've accomplished a lot. Like, it's not clear to me why he's on the cover of Vanity Fair and Kamala Harris isn't. And I think that that's something that the the, the Democrats
1: do. I'm fascinated by that, too. And I want to know why. Why do you think it is?
4: Well, because I think that there's still a, an issue in this country where people just get very, very excited about white men. I mean, I don't know what the other explanation is, or I shouldn't even say white men, men, because mm-hmm. I think we saw this, the same thing with Barack Obama. And so the question is, I actually, you know, Kamala Harris is an incredibly charismatic, obviously I, I think brilliant woman, um, and it's not clear to me what, why Beto O'Rourke uh, is, like I said, is getting this kind of royal treatment that mm-hmm. she's not getting. Or frankly, Stacey Abrams, who is incredible. Right. I I, I really like the first time I saw her, I thought, wow, this woman should run for president. So I I just think that there is the media can help create a lot of this. You know, so I think people have to be conscious
1: of that.
0: You know, it it would be kind of fitting for uh, Beto O'Rourke to be the Democratic nominee because uh, inarguably Donald Trump is a media creation from The Apprentice and, and the hagiographic coverage from CNN when he was running in the Republican primaries, really helping solidify his lead in claims. CNN uh, following the, the landing of Trump Force One as if it was Air Force One landing in Berlin or something. Uh, Better O'Rourke the same way. What a fascinating dynamic, though. Now they're all turning on him after all that coverage favorable to him against Ted Cruz. Not all of us sleep the same way. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides. I'm one of them. My Butterfly Pillow gives you support in the places you need it most, keeping neck and spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My Butterfly Pillow, it's patented sleep technology that elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place to fit your arm, and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft, it's comfortable, you can stay in one position all night. The height of My Butterfly Pillow is adjustable. Do you fall asleep to white noise, meditative sounds? My Butterfly Pillow has Bluetooth adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music, sounds, or even smart TV. Now, I would like to tell you all about My Butterfly Pillow. My Butterfly Pillow, they sent me one and I got to use it one night. And then my kid confiscated it and hasn't given it back, loves it, Uh, has a um, a 3.5 millimeter jack, can plug in an iPad or an iPhone or an iPod and listen to music through the night while they sleep, surrounding themselves with music, very comfortable pillow. They love it. They, they're the ones who swear by it. So, listeners to the Eric Erickson Show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code ERIC, E R I C K, at checkout, and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code ERIC at checkout. You'll save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC. It will change the way you sleep. Know where all of this is coming from on the Democratic side? What, well, why are they doing this? But suddenly, Democrats everywhere are coming out for 16-year-olds voting. Here's Nancy Pelosi.
1: Personally, I'm not speaking for my caucus. I myself have always been for lowering the, vote, the voting age to 16. I think it's really important to capture kids when they're in high school, when they're interested in all of this, when they're learning about government, to be able to vote. I what?
0: No. No. Uh, it, you know, we have this idea in this country baked into our common law that you've got to be old enough to be able to to understand your actions. And while 16 is in some states that age, uh, 18 tends to be the lock-in, eh? 18-year-olds. Well, not for long can smoke. I, I still think they need to lower the drinking age back to 18. Uh, it's when you vote, it's when you become an adult, you get out of high school. This, this whole voting. Now, I will say, I've actually seen some progressives say we should let any child vote. Any child who can walk and talk should be able to vote. Personally, you know, let's go for it because it's going to be all the homeschool families and, and the kids in the evangelical churches who are going, whose parents don't like the Democrats. They're going to be voting. I mean, it's going to be, my goodness. You'll have homeschool kids in there running the country right. But this is ridiculous. I, I have no idea what their infatuation is with. it. Just It's crazy. But I'll tell you who is no longer infatuated with Beto O'Rourke, the Democrats. They're coming out. I'll tell you someone else who's coming out against Beto. Listen to this. This is an interesting critique of Beto O'Rourke. Well, I think he's got a lot of hand movement. I've never seen so much hand movement. I said... Is he crazy or is that just the way he acts? So uh, I've never seen hand movement. I watched him a little while this morning doing, I assume it was some kind of a news conference, uh, and I've actually never seen anything quite like it. Study it, I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, a number of people before the president made his criticism today or pointed out uh, there were a whole bunch of people pointing out why is he waving his hand so much? He's doing this, this Facebook video. Where he announces he's running for president, his hands are all over the place. It, it's, it seems like it is something he, that he's just picked up as, as a way to, when he's speaking, as something to do, a, a verbal tick, if you will. Um, it, we get into those on radio. you know. People always, people behind the scenes tell me, oh, you're, you're staying this every day. You should change it. Same thing with him. Given the speech, he's flailing about all the time because he doesn't know what to do with his hands. Just, uh, it's interesting. Okay, when we come back, the National Emergency Declaration will take your phone calls, 404-872-0750, here on WSB. I apparently chose this song. I apologize. I don't know why. (laughs) Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. Wow. That one slipped in there somehow. I guess I accidentally clicked the heart button on on iTunes. The full number here, 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. Uh, I'm sorry. I've got to play a little more of the this this Beto O'Rourke hate, uh, b- because I'm fascinated by it, and the reason I'm fascinated by it is because of how much love uh, the media has given to O'Rourke. He clearly believed the press coverage. Never ever believe your press coverage, and yet he did. Um, I just it's the the media is going to have have priapism for a few more days dealing with. Beto O'Rourke. They, they just, they don't know what to do. They, they love the guy so much as Rush Limbaugh would call it, mediagasm. Now I, I've got to, I, I got to discuss something an, an angle here on O'Rourke and I just want to full disclosure for parents with children in your car. I, I will do so in a, an appropriate manner, being mindful of you having kids in your car. Beto at one point in his life fessed to being a furry. If you've ever been to Dragon Con, you may know what a furry is. I was actually sitting at the Taco Mac over at Phillips Arena one time. Had to be on CNN. Was taking a break. Went downstairs to grab some nachos to eat. And in walked the furries there for Dragon Con. People who dress in animal costumes. uh, And they hang out. They they do things. Um, Some things they should not be doing that they do. Let's just say you don't want to take a blue light to the furry costumes in some cases. Well, Beto was one of them. Yes, I cannot wait for President Trump's furry tweets. I cannot wait for it. It is going to take his Pocahontas tweets to the next level when he gets to the furry tweets. I'll never forget. I think it was 2010, 2011. uh, The year before Andrew Breitbart died, he and I were at a meeting together, the Club for Growth, down in Florida. And we had to explain to Mike Lee, then the newly elected senator from Utah, or no, I think he was actually campaigning uh, to be senator of Utah. Uh, We had to explain to him what a furry was. It blew his mind. Um, Nonetheless, so let let me just read you some of the the Beto O'Rourke headlines from the past year. Logan Dobson, a political guru in in, uh, Washington, put these together On social media, and this is the Beto O'Rourke coverage. Uh, This one is, let's see, this one is from Texas Monthly. The news reports have gone from bad to catastrophic, with the National Weather Service declaring this event is unexpected, unprecedented, and all impacts are unknown. And Beto O'Rourke was headed towards the storm. This is from BuzzFeed News. Beto O'Rourke is a prolific, prodigious sweater. We're talking shirt-soaking, chin-dripping sweat, most visible as he takes questions from the audiences that have gathered to see him across Texas. This is from Yahoo. Beto O'Rourke was trying hard to play it cool, but finally he just couldn't resist. I have to show you this, the Democratic congressman from El Paso said, reaching into his pocket to grab his iPhone. This is from GQ. Beto O'Rourke, an occasional member of Los Diablitos, a De La Paso sandlot baseball team, looked pathetic in his first two at-bats last Sunday at the long time, a diamond in Austin, Texas. Both were strikeouts. The first was on three pitches. Here's more from GQ. Standing in the shade with me near his campaign minivan after the event, O'Rourke acknowledged the tough road ahead while noting that much good had already been done. Here's Town & Country magazine. Just after he was elected to Congress in 2012, Beto O'Rourke was in a bar in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with several other newly elected pals. He's a Kennedy-esque long shot in a roiling red stage, but the Democrat from Texas just might have a chance of unseating Ted Cruz. The New York Times. Operating on two hours sleep, Beto O'Rourke was 20 hours into his day and looked it. His white shirt and gray slacks were an accordion of wrinkles. His hair flecked with gray, drooped on his forehead and small dark rings had formed under his eyes. It goes on and on. All of this coverage, hagiographic coverage. Um, now the, as Logan says, the all time goat, the greatest of all time. This is from time magazine. This is time magazine's profile of Beto O'Rourke on a dusty road in Southwestern Texas. Beto O'Rourke leans out the window of the Ford expedition. He's driving and mutters, You going to let me pass you, state police? He speeds ahead of the cruiser while chewing an empanada. An O'Rourke victory would be one of the biggest upsets of the Trump era. I mean, this is all the press coverage. He, he never got anything uh, critical. You, you, you've got to, you got to, you got you, you to make the Republicans were outraged over the media never bothering to report that Beto O'Rourke was in a head-on collision, drunk, and ran away from the scene of the crime, and got his dad, a judge, to pull strings to get him out of trouble. The Republicans had to force the media to cover that, and they did so begrudgingly. Republicans say we're not covering this, so here it is. But we love Beto. And so now suddenly you've got this. I mean, here's a C- Democratic CNN contributor.
2: Beto O'Rourke kind of left a light footprint uh, when he was in Congress, didn't really do much. He talked about that, I think, in the Vanity Fair article, essentially said, well, uh, they weren't in the ma- majority, so it was difficult to get things done. He was just a, you know, sort of a backbencher uh, congressman, so so he doesn't have much of a, a legislative record uh, there. But that was, I, I think, fascinating to see Sherrod Brown's uh, reaction there. You have had much more of a reaction uh, to Bi- the prospect of Biden, for instance, getting in because he has uh, had you know such a long relationship with folks on the Hill there, and, it, and I think it also does get at sort of like what is. Beto or works uh, argument for why he should be president. One of the things he says is that he can bring people together. Uh, he's a good listener. If you look at that Vanity Fair article, it's a lot about uh, him. It's a, a lot about uh, how he is so you know kind of energized by the crowd there and, and the, the masses of people he's able able to gather there. So I, I think you have a field that is a lot of you know experienced folks, people in the Senate, people with a lot of accomplishment, people who know policy really well, and so that is going to have to be something that I think Mm a Beto works on as he works his way uh, through this race and through this primary.
0: In other words, he's unaccomplished. They're finally saying he's unaccomplished. They're finally admitting it after all the building him up against takers. Now, they kept referencing Sherrod Brown. What does Sherrod Brown say? Remember, Sherrod Brown, he is a senator from Ohio, Democrat, Uh, progressive, but deeply connected to blue-collar workers. A lot of people were disappointed he didn't run, and he's not running because he wants Joe Biden to run. Listen to Sherrod Brown on Beto, a guy who backed backed Beto O'Rourke against Ted Cruz. I want to
1: get your reaction to Beto O'Rourke's announcement that he's running for president.
0: Uh, I have no reaction. I just, uh, one more, one more, one more gets in the race. One more, one more. No, no reaction at all. Unreal. I want to play this full Sherrod Brown clip because he goes beyond Beto O'Rourke and gets to a problem the Democratic Party has. Listen to this. I want
1: to get your reaction to Beto O'Rourke's announcement that he's running for president.
0: Uh, I have no reaction. I just, uh, one more, one more, one more gets in the race. Um, Bring them in, it'll be an interesting primary fight. Uh, My goal is to do what I've done all along, and that is talk about the dignity of work and encourage my colleagues. I hope that every candidate does what a number has started to do, and that is make the narrative of the Democratic Party talking to workers, the betrayal of this president, the betrayal of workers by this president, the phony populism by this president. And I'll continue to talk about honoring and respecting work. It's how you win elections, it's who I am. The dignity of work. Uh, uh, This is a real contrast between him and like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, for instance, who believes that we should let the robots take over so none of us have to go to work. There's a real dignity in work that a lot of Democrats don't seem to get. He does. And the fact that he's championing this is a big red flag that Sherrod Brown realizes Democrats are failing on this message, and they are and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is helping them fail on this message. Uh, will Beto get it? I don't know. But I think Biden's about to get in the race, though. And now I'm going to the phones to Ron calling from Athens. You're going to be up next. Hey, Welcome, Ron. Ron. I mean, that's me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey,
1: Eric. Uh, uh, something they, that I haven't any, heard anybody address with the new Green Deal yet is what are we going to do with our uh, Defense Department? Uh, more like aircraft and aircraft carriers and all these planes. We're going to strap solar panels oh, on the planes. Ron, of the we, plane we, we, or won't, what?
0: we won't need those when, when we go to the Green New Deal. Um, we, oh, we, we've we found world peace, have we? Yes, yeah, so they're going to rename the, the Defense Department the Peace Department. Yeah, All right. Yeah. listen, no, they, they would love to scrap the military. I mean, these are people who believe that the Air Force should have to hold bake sales to raise funds for new aircraft instead of having uh, schools do it for new band equipment. Uh, no, these people aren't serious. It's ridiculous. More deep thoughts by, by these geniuses uh, who really would love to wipe out the military. And now, Deep Thoughts by alexandria ocasio cortez
1: i mean it's true it's like we need to take a look at factory farming you know period it's wild it's not like to say we're going to force everybody to go vegan or anything crazy like that but it's to say listen Maybe you shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, let's keep it real.
0: That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You know, relatedly, all the Democrats no, 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 no. We're not going to impose veganism on people. Remember, she wants to get rid of farting cows. She wants to uh, pay farmers to stop actually raising animals and instead raise vegetables. Well, they said, no, no, don't believe it. Don't believe it. We're not trying to do this. And then here comes the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio. And he's announced that citywide in public schools, they're imposing meatless Mondays. That's right. The kids are going to be eating tofu bean curd on Mondays instead of hamburgers. They're going to show the kids that they can go vegetarian or vegan. This is nonsensical. Um, Yet again, uh, using schools to propagandize for the left, getting rid of protein schools. All these kids from underprivileged, poor families going to schools dependent on school lunch programs, to keep their kids healthy, to give them protein. And what are they going to do? They're going to get rid of the protein. They're they're going to get rid of the meat. They'll substitute it with some sort of vegetarian protein garbage that the kids aren't going to want to eat. They're going to turn their noses up to. We're going to have a bunch of starving kids in New York schools. Man, yeah, I I hope somebody's tracking violence in New York. I suspect that Mondays are going to be hangry Monday violence after school. The gangs are going to be all over each other. All the, the gang members who are in public schools going out and... Being hangry because none of them want tofu for lunch. In addition to all the other kids, just unreal. They want to do this, experimenting with their left-wing nonsense on kids' lunches. Uh, pitiful, pitiful, pitiful. But that's the left for you. They tell you in public we're never going to do this, and then behind the scenes, that's exactly what they do. Impose hangry Mondays on public school kids in New York City. I feel sorry for the teachers. I really, and the parents. Your, your your teachers are going to be there all day with kids who've refused to eat their tofu. They're going to get, have a bunch of angry kids, upset and hungry. And then the kids are ultimately going to go home in the afternoons and be starving. Just But they don't care. They're getting rid of cow farts in New York City. At least that's what they think. Pathetic. Now, when we come back, we've got to shift gears. There's a little more on, on the school scandal, and we got to get into state legislative matter. The fetal heartbeat legislation, they're considering it right now up underneath the gold dome. I'll bring you the latest. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number, 404 872 750 wsb dog Before I get into anything else, I just, uh, I saw this during commercial break. I wanted to make sure that I, I'm just going to read this. This is the New York Post. The headline, Son Defends Parents Caught in College Admission Scandal While Smoking Blunt. Yeah. Maybe this is why Gregory and Marcia Abbott allegedly bought their daughter's way into college. Their, in air quotes, rapper son, Malcolm, popped out of the family's Fifth Avenue building to smoke a giant blunt while defending his parents and bragging about his latest CD. Quote, they're blowing this whole thing out of proportion, end quote, said Malcolm Abbott outside the home that overlooks the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Quote, I believe everyone has a right to go to college, man. Close quote. In between drags, Malcolm, whose father is the founder of Food and Beverage Distributor International Dispensing Corp, admitted that he didn't go to college. The toker, who sports a ponytail and raps under the name Billa, then shamelessly plugged his music. Check out my CD, Cheese and Crackers, he said, of his 2018 five-track record that includes a song titled If I Lost My Money. That kind of encapsulates this entire story, does it not? Uh, What more need be said that the the loser, failed rapper, white, rich kid son of a multimillionaire who lives across the street from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City comes outside to smoke his marijuana and say that his parents were getting a raw deal. (laughs) Wow. Uh, you, you, You know, I'm finding that the people involved in these stories really do fit the stereotypes that you would think of. Now we got to move on. There is a story. It's not even a story. It's an opinion piece. It's in USA today. Uh, the headline is a Donald Trump coup. If he loses in 2020 with all the norms, he's busted. Don't rule it out. The, the subtitle here is Cohen fear about a peaceful transition is worth considering giving Trump's attacks on judges, Congress and the media and the criminal trials that he may face. Uh, Jerry Goldfeder and, and Lincoln Mitchell are the, Op-ed contributors. Now, who are these people? Jerry Goldfeder is a New York elections attorney who teaches election law and the presidency at Fordham and the University of Pennsylvania Law School. He was a consultant on CNN's Race for the White House in 2016. Lincoln Mitchell teaches the political science department at Columbia University. He is the author of several books, including The Democracy Promotion Paradox. Okay, their, their basic point is, what if Donald Trump loses in 2020 and refuses to vacate the White House? Do you know what happens if Donald Trump loses in 2020 and refuses to vacate the White House? The new president on January 20th, 2021 at 12 p.m. uh, marches the Secret Service in there and and drags the powerless Donald Trump out of the White House. You know, if, if Donald Trump refuses to leave the White House... On January twentieth, twenty twenty-one. It's not like the power flows through the White House. No, the power flows through the Constitution to the man. So the new guy shows up at the inauguration, gets sworn in, and at, at noon the the football moves. You know, the nuclear football with all the secrets. The, the military now suddenly they're they're not sworn to uphold, protect, and defend the President of the United States. They're sworn to uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. It would require the military apparatus to go along with him doing this. The whole thing is a scare scenario and irresponsible fear-mongering. And USA Today, frankly, should be ashamed of giving people this coverage. Juan Williams went down this road a couple of weeks ago. And it's absolute nuts. There is no basis for this. And yet, this is where they're going. Folks, it can't happen. And I realize there are liberals out there right now. Don't, don't at me. Don't call me. this can happen. Yeah, okay. If the military agrees, if the Congress agrees, if the Secret Service agrees, if the White House catering staff agrees, all of these people, you would have to, and we would have bigger problems than that. Donald Trump saying he's still the president doesn't matter because at noon on the 20th day of January after a federal election for president, the new guy becomes president or Donald Trump stays president. If he wins, he can't just stay in the white house in the oval office, barricade himself in and say, I'm the president. There are all these other players out there. The, the, you, you know how you get these fear scenarios, you get these fear scenarios by people becoming convinced that the presidency is the be all end all of power that the focus of power in this country is not through the constitution but through a man that's where you get these scenarios and we see this with liberals now thinking that the presidency is something above the chief executive officer of the of the united states and is some sort of greater figure they embodied that with donald, with barack obama and and now that's causing them to fear donald trump It's nonsensical, but that's where we are. It's also irresponsible. Speaking of power and holding on to power, uh, just a tip of the hat to Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor in Georgia, who is offering up a constitutional amendment to limit the tenure of the lieutenant governor. Under the Georgia Constitution, the governor is term limited to two terms. The lieutenant governor is not term limited at all. Zell Miller served as lieutenant governor for four terms before deciding it was his turn to run for governor and Duncan wants this term limited. He thinks that he argues that the lieutenant governor is part of the executive branch. That could get him some problems. I'll explain here in a minute, Uh, but that the lieutenant governor is part of the executive branch. As a result of that, uh, he should be term limited just like the governor. Uh, He will have to have a bipartisan coalition go along with this. He may be able to pull that off. I'm not sure. Um, If he does, though, Uh, good for him for limiting his own power, limiting his own tenure. It would coincide, I think the way they structure it with the governor's. So essentially what it would also do uh is set up the Lieutenant governor for a pattern of natural succession to become governor because the term limiting, uh, would coincide along with the presidential term limit or the, I'm sorry, the gubernatorial term limiting. So when the governor's two terms are up, the Lieutenant governor's two terms were up and it would set up natural flow for the Lieutenant governor to say, okay, time to run for governor. I'm term limited out of this job. Now, there is a catch uh, that must be contemplated, and that is that by him saying he is part of the executive branch, well, the Freedom of Information Act rules in the state do not apply to the legislature. They apply to the executive branch. If the lieutenant governor is saying he's part of the executive branch, well, then his office is open to Uh, Freedom of Information Act requests, which would be an interesting fight to have given his statements. We'll see. Um, I got to say, I'm thus far impressed with Jeff Duncan as lieutenant governor. Uh, Definitely conservative. There's some grumbling among some conservatives that he's treading lightly, but the guy came over from the House of Representatives Uh, for years. I mean, you got to understand that the, the way the dynamic works in bicameral legislatures, is that the House and Senate look at uh, the parties within and say they're the opposition. They look at the body across the hall and say they're the enemy. So for years, the senators have been looking at the Republicans and Democrats calling each other the opposition. They've been looking across the hall at the state house saying they're the enemy. So here comes somebody from the enemy's camp to be the lieutenant governor and preside over the Senate. And he's got to kind of tread lightly there. It's just the nature of the beast. Uh, But he's doing a good job, I think. And steering the um, fetal heartbeat legislation to Renee Unterman's committee was a good call. I'm impressed so far with what Jeff Duncan is, is doing and his willingness to restrain his own power. Now, all that said, when we come back, there is state legislative news and there is an update on the fetal heartbeat legislation. I will provide you all of that momentarily. I have to tell you guys that I have used my Quip Electric Toothbrush for more than two years, so much so that I asked Quip, I sought them out and asked them if they would actually advertise on my radio show because I love them so much. And so now you listening to the podcast can get the ad as well because I really do like the Quip Electric Toothbrush. I've used it for about two years. The things I like about the Quip Electric Toothbrush are that it doesn't have a huge fat handle that makes it hard to hold it's the size of a regular toothbrush it doesn't have a charger that you have to carry with you when you travel it works on a AAA battery and every three months they send you a new brush head so the brush head stays fresh even though the body stays the same you can get it in multiple colors they send you a new AAA battery when they send you the brush head and the brush heads are only five bucks it's a great toothbrush. It is designed by dentists and designers together, and you can tell. That's why I love the Quip. They're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals, and they start at just $25. If you go to getquip.com slash Eric right now, you'll get your first brush head refill pack for free with the Quip electric toothbrush. So you get your first refill pack for free by going to getquip.com slash Eric. That's getquip.com slash Eric. Okay, I lied. I've got to go back to the, the college cheating scandal because the Wall Street Journal just dropped the, dropped the story. And I apologize. I, there are some of these things I'm finding funny, and I start to laugh, and I have to catch myself. If I sound like I'm choking on air because I'm going to start coughing, uh, even with all the pseudoephedrine. That, that could send me on another tirade here in a minute on trying to buy pseudoephedrine, uh, like you're a drug dealer or something. It's, it's obnoxious. Nonetheless, so the original tipster... On this college admission scam is someone named Maury Tobin. Uh, he uh, lives in Los Angeles. Was being investigated for a pump and dump investment scheme. Now, what is pump and dump investment scheme? You get your minds out of the gutter, people! No, 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 nope. nope, 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 nope. Um, so this is this is a uh, he it inflates the price of stock. Uh, goes in as a group. They inflate the price of a stock. Uh, so that they can then dump it and sell it at a profit. They pump up the price and then they all dump it together and reap the profit. So feds were investigating that and in an effort to try to obtain leniency, let them know that the, the Yale University women's soccer coach uh, was willing to take a bribe to put their daughter on the soccer team, allegedly in order to get her into Yale Um Man, <laughs> did a thief selling each other out here. That's what started this whole thing. Now, Tobin is apparently not going to get in trouble for this, and it doesn't appear that uh, he did actually uh, bribe the soccer coach to make this happen. So he may have ripped off people, but he didn't actually get his daughter. And I, I saw someone online earlier saying that it, it would, if you know, the the George Clooney movie up in the air. What a depressing movie. He's he he flies around all the time, firing people. He's a basically outsourced uh, firing for human resources. They fly him into a company and he fires people so the people in the company don't have to sit there and stare into the eyes of the people they're firing. Uh, So someone noted, you know, it would be entirely plausible for a legal profession to basically be the person who flies in to summon the kids of a parent and say, listen, you know, your parents been telling you all the time that you are good enough and you really are brilliant. Actually, they think you're stupid and you're not going to be qualified for college and they're cutting you off. And maybe some of these, these rich parents need that. I'm this whole phenomenon of, of prestige parenting. Um, I will tell you when I was a practicing lawyer, I helped a mock trial or or I, I guess I should say it was, it was a uh, high school debating team, and it was at a very, very well-to-do private school in our area. I'm I'm trying to be delicate here because I don't want to I don't want to give away details and whatnot. Even though it was 20 years ago, uh, it, it was a hike from my house to get there. But I was doing it as a favor to a friend, and I was stunned, stunned by the rich kids at the private school. I mean, talk about a privileged existence. And it was not white privilege, it was rich privilege. I mean, students and drugs and and affairs with with their teachers. And I mean, the the stuff that the students talked about, it it was stuff like out of of a TV series or a movie. Um, There is a different world out there of this. It's not Again, it's not white privilege, it's just well-to-do privilege that money can buy you all sorts of things and ruins people's lives and you see it with these kids who are spoiled and pampered and never held to account by their parents who use them as as some sort of vanity prestige tool for their own careers it's crazy okay when we come back uh fetal heartbeat we got to give you an update on that we got other legislation out there circulating we'll get back into the emergency vote as well after the senate voted to end the president's emergency which will give him now his first veto up to speed on a couple of issues in the state legislature. The uh, legislation is now headed to Brian Kemp. The legislature voted uh, for $150 million in touchscreen voting systems that print paper ballots. The Senate had made some changes to the initial legislation. The House voted to approve those changes, largely along party lines. Uh, The governor is expected to sign it. Uh, One thing to note, the Democrats are saying it, and I got to tell you, just for those of you who are new to the program. I was an elections lawyer for a number of years, uh, involved in elections around the state, mostly defending elections for the Secretary of State's office and local boards of election. And I am a big fan of paper ballots. But when this legislation came up, it it made sense to me to use paper ballots. Uh, But then talking to various local boards of elections, including some that are Democrat, not just Republicans, there's no party line issue here. They actually have almost uniformly said, and this is getting lost in a lot of the press reports, that they don't favor paper ballots. Now, security officials, obviously, they do favor paper ballots, and paper ballots make sense. And up the upfront cost of paper ballots is cheaper than these machines. The reason that people don't like the machines, that, that local boards of elections don't like the machines, or rather don't like paper ballots, is because over time, it is costly. The machines are a one-time purchase and you get the rolls of paper, which become a a biennial purchase. But with the paper ballots, the design of the paper ballots, the printing of the paper ballots, the Scantron machines, all that, that cost goes every year. It's a cost absorbed by local governments. The storing of all of the ballots, the storing of all the data, it adds up over time. And so local governments actually think it will cost long-term. Upfront, yes, there's no dispute paper ballots are cheaper, but long-term, paper ballots more expensive than using the voting machines. That's why local governments much prefer to use the electronic voting machines. And there's the issue of the disabled and the elderly having an easier time voting on the touchscreens. Now, Fetal Heartbeat, they began meeting at three o'clock. There were protesters dressed as the Handmaid's Tale characters, dressed in, in red with the white Hats. Uh, There is a substitute piece of legislation being put forward in the Senate that will make some changes to the House legislation. I suspect it's going to go through, but it's not going to go through today. No one was expecting a vote today. Uh, Highly contentious. uh, Left wing agitators and protesters protesting in the state capitol. I don't think it's going to do any good. I think the Republicans are prepared to pass this legislation because here's what Republicans understand about the fetal heartbeat legislation it's actually popular. You can bring in a bunch of activists from the left and fill up the rotunda at the General Assembly and yell and scream and dress like the handmaidens, but most people actually support this legislation. And in so supporting the legislation, despite the fear of scenarios that this is going to hand the suburbs to the Democrats. That's not actually the case, and the Republicans actually realize that's not the case. So the Democrats they can fear monger all they want on this issue, and they can scream that yes, yes, this is going to give us the suburbs, but that's not actually true. There's no data to suggest that's true. All of the polling suggests otherwise. So Republicans aren't concerned. Having covered the Gold Dome, let's cover the what do we? What should we call the Washington Dome? The White? I don't know. Let's go jump back up to Washington. What's happening there? Uh, Mitch McConnell has filed cloture on the Green New Deal's uh, Senate Joint Resolution 8. It is. The Democrats are scrambling now saying, please, please don't call up this resolution. We don't want it. That's dirty. That's not nice. Uh, McConnell telling them, basically, uh, you guys have been championing this Green New Deal. Let's get you on the record for it. Calling their bluff, which is hilarious. Uh, Also... Uh, ben Sass, I think it's pretty clear to say he is definitely running for re-election, as I mentioned in the last hour, having voted uh, for the president against the resolution on the emergency. Kind of surprising. Um, so that there's your summation here, if you weren't here in the first hour. Now, before I jump anywhere else, I want to mention the Giving Kitchen. They're give, getting the James Beard Foundation Humanitarian of the Year Award. Uh, some of you, you don't know what the giving kitchen is. I, I don't know of any other part of the nation that has something similar. It's a nonprofit. It supports restaurant workers in times of crisis. And essentially it came about years ago when, um, oh, who was the guy? Ryan, um, uh, Heidinger he, who was a staple house restaurant. Uh, he got he diagnosed late stage gallbladder cancer. He was 35 uh, and needed help paying his medical bills. Uh, they were able to raise $275,000 uh, for him through a benefit dinner. And out of this came, though he did not survive, uh, out of this came the giving kitchen where restaurants in the, in the Atlanta area and restaurant workers uh, help each other. It's a wonderful idea. It's a wonderful nonprofit. It helps people pay for medical bills, child care costs, rent, mortgage. They file for grants. There are a number of restaurant workers in the area who have benefited. And it's nice to see them honored. And wanted want to just spend a few minutes letting you know that Atlanta has the Giving Kitchen. And it is getting one of the most prestigious awards in food the James Beard Foundation Humanitarian of the Year Award to our local Giving Kitchen. And. Good for them. They should definitely be committed for that. It is a great, great, great program. You know, somewhat related to the Giving Kitchen, we had a meeting in the office last week, just planning out the rest of this year, things we want to do. You know, we've got the resurgent gathering coming up in August, and... One of the things that we did not do last year, we didn't do any live broadcast last year. Um, live broadcasts, they, they can be awkward and, and whatnot, and you never know who's going to show up. And, and this year, we were thinking we wanted to plan some live events around the area, but do it a little differently. Uh, and actually make people pay to show up, uh, but give all the money to a uh, worthy cause. So. That's what we're thinking of doing is we will the giving, talking about the giving kitchen made me think about it. Essentially what I want to do is, is once a month do a, do a live event where maybe I'll broadcast live, but then you can hang out afterwards. If you, if you paid for a ticket, you give like 25, $30, all the money that we raise then goes to a local nonprofit. I think that would be a good thing to do. Something like that. We're, we're putting the details together. Um, but I would like to do something like that. Um, and, get on get back out there i guess i have a love hate relationship with live broadcasts i love to hate them um sometimes they're great and sometimes i always feel very awkward everybody wants to come up and say hi and i've got like a minute here and a minute there and three minutes here and then stick around but they can be fun i always get to meet great people uh in the audience who are listeners and uh, but we're just not sure with the new time slot from four to five it was one thing when it was five to seven people get off work they show up but now I mean, people really aren't getting off at 4 o'clock to show up. I guess we'll just have to give you an excuse to leave the office early so you can come have a beer with me. As we roll these out, I will let you know. In the meantime, uh, continuing to work with the Vice President's office to get him here for the Resurgent Gathering. Uh, if you want to be a part of it, uh, text the word ATLANTA to 345345 to register. It's $99. The price will be going up here shortly to 149 but you can still get in at 99 to the Resurgent Gathering in August. And I will see you guys tomorrow.